Yeah, how do I get into this? So, uh, are we recording? Yeah. Oh. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we were recording. <laughs> yeah, we've been recording for the past like two minutes. <laughs> cool. This is not my first on-air appearance today. This is not? No, no. I, I was on the, uh, on, on the wireless, yeah, about, about two hours ago now. But that wasn't your first appearance on the radio, like even that. No, no, I've been on the radio uh, probably a, a dozen, maybe two dozen times this year. So tell people why. Well, I produce radio and... That's, that's probably why. Well, yeah, but that's usually behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So I'm in like the, the control desk fiddling with the, uh, the, the mixing desk sometimes as well as lining up guests and stuff. So that's not an on-air role, but sometimes when something big happens, I'm... On air, which is which is good fun. You get to have a chat, and yeah. Pat's claim to fame is the one time that he got called onto radio to talk about hitchhiking. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So the show I produce, we like to have a good, lighthearted discussion uh, to encourage people to call in because it's talkback radio. And yeah, I know. I was surprised that it still exists as well. <laughs> it's still going pretty strong. We've got. A predominantly older audience now. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. But uh, it's it's really good fun. Like the immediacy of it is is incredible. Like today, you know, I was just at home most of the afternoon, and there, there's been a big fire happening um, near our house. Yeah, it was really weird waking up this morning to see like a giant plume of smoke outside our house. Yeah, and it's it's a few kilometers away, so it's not like a threat, but. At the same time, it was a big news story, and so I got a text from one of my colleagues saying, "Hey, can you can you talk to us about it?" I was like, "Sure, I'll I'll find out actually what's going on instead of just the text message." It's an unbelievable world to me that you live in. Your kind of your experience and to be in that bubble of like traditional media is is so foreign a concept to me that it's just weird being exposed to it and seeing you having to deal with that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it's very improvisational. So it's not like a YouTube video where you spend weeks scripting it, animating it, or shooting it and putting it together. It's, oh, we this is happening right now. We need someone to talk about it right now. Let's call this person and see what they know. Even the online sort of world is transitioning their news to sort of more produced packages, even in terms of just um, more understandable things like an article that's written at the end of the day or like an evening news type special. There's a lot of that kind of produced content going on. So this sort of on-demand parochial stuff that's sort of improvisational is, it's yeah, it's just very foreign to me. It's like very difficult to understand the world and the headspace that you would be in. Yeah, well, it is very parochial. Like I produce a show that's uh, confined to a specific region. So... All the stories we cover must be specific to that region. It's got to be all local news. It's not like, oh, this is something interesting happening on the other side of the world. No, it's what's happening in our backyard. Yeah. My go-to example for the way I think about what you do is 
how are the people in Saskatchewan going to be thinking about this story (laughs) (laughs) over in Canada? Like, there's got to be some weird disconnect with how news is perceived and how it matters to the people who are in the immediate vicinity. Because that's how news has always been. Like, since the beginning of the traditional media, people have had their local newspapers and then their state newspapers and then their nationwide newspapers and radio shows and evening bulletins and the whole list goes on. It's great that we have such local news because I, I love local news. I love knowing what's happening in my backyard. You know, it's it's great to see Terry Smith won second prize in a beauty contest and won 10 pounds. That's great. I'm happy <laughs> for him. That's not the uh, only thing you've been doing recently. Yeah, I've had another experience with live entertainment recently. Oh uh, yeah, you went to go see old uh, Bob Dylan? Yeah, he's still going along. He's still uh, tearing it up on the the touring circuit. That's really awesome. How was it? It was, it was okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't rate as as an excellent like stage show. It's one of those things where oh, you go to see Bob Dylan because he's a very famous musician, and it's not because of the quality of the show that you're gonna get. No, no, he just like walks out on stage. He barely acknowledges the audience and and plays plays all of his old songs, plays new ones. Uh, the new ones where you you might make out you know one in three words, <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where I, I wanted to go see Bob Dylan because it's something I wanted to do before you know before he died or I died or whatever you know. Yeah, and uh, for the show that you got, you you wouldn't be expecting anything more really. No, no, he's you know I think he's in his late seventies, so he's getting on a bit. Yeah. But he's he's still got it, you know. He he can play the harmonica incredibly well, and he rolled out some of his older hits. Um, like you know, it was one of my favorites. Uh, Desolation Row was mm-hmm. oh, that was amazing. But there was a really weird kind of um, situation with this uh, with this thing with this uh, concert. So uh, when I asked you about how your concert was when you first got back from it, you said that no, I'm going to reserve this for the podcast so i've been waiting for a little while to hear about this (laughs) yeah i've been a bit of a tease with it but basically the thing that i wanted to talk about is when i walked into the arena ahead of the concert starting there was a very very terse announcement over the pa saying the use of phones ipads cameras and recording equipment will not be tolerated no way yeah it goes on though Patrons who do not comply will be escorted from the venue. No. Are you serious? Yes. Why? It's, I, I guess it's just Bob's wish. He wants to uh, to have people live in the moment or something. Okay. What, what are your feelings on this before I give mine and rant? Um, I think it's something I can get behind. Mm-hmm. Because I go to... You know, I, I paid like $160 to go see this performance and it's it's a live performance and I, you know, I could take like, I, I did take a sneaky photo, but <laughs> I could, you know, take video of this event and, you know, video that I will probably never watch again. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there would be thousands of other people in the crowd doing that, but it cheapens the experience. You, you, what makes you think it cheapens it? Well, I think that you're too focused on taking video of the event and trying to make sure that ah oh, this this videos are all right, the audio is going to be good, and you, you're missing out on the whole experience of it. I'm with you in one sense, 
that we there's definitely the issue of um what they what they call like the instagram eyes or whatever like you're constantly not actually living in the moment you're constantly constantly living through how will this look on photo or video i get that i completely understand that but i'm i'm not really understanding how you think that that would cheapen the experience well it's one of those things where it's it's something that distracts you from the experience mm-hmm. like if if I'm at a concert, like, you know, the last concert I went to, I took video from uh, for a couple of the songs. It was ACDC and mm-hmm. it was an amazing stage performance. And and so I thought, okay, I'm going to video some of this. And so, like, the songs that I videoed, I was too focused on keeping, the, you know, keeping my phone stable and mm-hmm. trying to, you know, make sure everything was in shot to be able to actually enjoy those songs. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think that that... That kind of distracts from it. But should you then be forced to follow those rules? Isn't it sort of people's right to choose whether or not they want to have that experience? And surely they could find out for themselves? I think so. But at the same time, looking across the entire arena, because I was up in the nosebleed section, (laughs) there wasn't a single phone out. Mm-hmm. For, for obvious reasons um, because they had an army of security patrolling mm-hmm. the the audience and they were telling people off. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it, it meant that there wasn't like a, a sea of screens facing yeah. the stage with people trying to capture it. It was just people sitting there and in the moment enjoying the performance. Yeah. But certainly being told off about your desire to film it may have like annoyed some people a lot of people that have gone to the event with the expectation that they are allowed to do with whatever they want with their phones and there's certainly that aspect of like you can't interview every single person who walks out of the stadium but i'm sure many many people especially in this day and age would have been annoyed by the fact that they weren't allowed to vote uh, video or photo oh yeah even even though i disagree with um you know spending an entire performance taking shaky phone video from it it still annoyed me that they were enforcing that sort of thing. Yeah, because I'm with they, you. they were so vigorous about it. Like there was a lady sitting in front of me who, um, probably about an hour into the concert, got a text message, and so she was typing away on a screen, clearly not videoing anything. Mm-hmm. But security came up to her and told her off. No, see, I can't get behind that. It it starts to sound less like, oh, we're just following you know Bob's wishes or whatever. To it's like a vendetta against the the digital age or whatever. Like it, it that just sounds too heavy fisted for me. Yeah, I even saw someone on the the bottom floor of the arena getting escorted away because he'd videoed, you know, probably a, a reasonable portion of the the concert. I could understand the argument of it cheapening the experience if you're focusing on getting the perfect video or the perfect photo, and you want all you're really there to do is not to enjoy the music, but to sort of have something nice in your Instagram feed or whatever. But for many people, they it doesn't diminish their enjoyment at all. Them filming their favorite song, for example, when, when it comes on or having a selfie or something like that to put on their social media, that can liven up the experience. And we, we do live in the age of social media, much as I don't myself. I'm not a person who uses a lot of social media, but I can understand that we do live in that world. I just think that the desire for them to try and control the situation to a T by deciding, no, we're going to enforce a strict no phone rule is bizarre and I just, I can't get behind it. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you enforce that sort of policy without annoying a few people. Yeah, 
the first thing that jumped into my mind when you brought it up was that he was worried about his intellectual property. I thought that maybe <laughs> he was annoyed that people were uploading videos of him on stage to the internet and that he wasn't entitled to his uh, ticket sales or whatever. <laughs> and that's that's immediately where my mind went rather than it being about the show. Yeah. I think um I think at least for for Bob he's probably got his uh his money's worth out of this performance already. And that's that's probably not the concern. I've before I, I bought tickets for this, I, I went onto YouTube and watched performances of his. Yeah, um, they're littered all over the internet. Yeah, yeah. So I like I watched recent performances to see if he still got it, and mm-hmm. you know he still does. And did he ever, did he ever really have it though? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the early days, like his first <laughs> album when he was actually singing. But um, singing is that what you call it? <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's more like uh, slam poetry to music. <laughs> it's the age-old dilemma. If you go to a concert and you don't post on social media, did you actually go? It's a it's a weird experience. Obviously, we live in a in a very interconnected world. Rightly or wrongly, doesn't really matter. But sort of infringing on people's decisions about how they like to spend their time at an event is not something I can agree with, really. It's like a, a vehement vendetta, you know, that they're uh, enforcing a rule so strictly. It was very distracting. I would have enjoyed it a lot more without the security sort of patrolling the entire area. Because the first thing you're going to tell people when people ask you, hey, how was your concert? The first thing you're going to tell them is they wouldn't let us film, they wouldn't let us take photos. Every person who held up an iPad got escorted out. That's like the one thing that's going to stick in your memory, not really the event. I, I would escort myself out if I took an iPad to a concert. <laughs> <laughs> it's always funny seeing people with iPads filming. Oh, yeah. I wonder if I would have got in trouble if I posted those uh, sneaky pics of the Bob Dylan concert to uh, to Snapstagram or... Um, the, the Instatubes and Face, Twitter, Twitface. Twitter Tweet, tweet book would would they would they be monitoring social media during the performance i wonder because that would honestly not surprise me if they'd gone in and had a look at the angle and try to find out exactly where that photo was taken from yeah potentially <laughs> i don't know i always overthink posting on social media because i'm so worried about essentially losing my job over a yeah. post I've um, definitely been guilty of going through my social media and ridding myself of potentially incriminating things. When you talk about incrimination, you're just talking about stuff that you're embarrassed about, but also things that could very easily become the source of your downfall. It's uh, one of those things that led leads people to go in and scrub their social media clean and spotless. Well, that's the first thing they told us in journalism school. Like the first day after they went through the preamble and introductions and all that, they were like, go through your social media and remove anything that could be controversial yeah. or uh, or could get you in trouble. Like, you know, e- even something so much as an off-colour joke. We've seen people get fired for, for posting a, a stupid throwaway joke and the internet just catching fire over it and you know basically pressuring their their employers to fire them it's amazing to me that we live in the era of without without wanting to use a cliche term social justice because 
these groups get a lot of hate, rightly or wrongly, it doesn't matter, we're not here to comment on that, but 10 years ago, maybe even 5 years ago, this kind of stuff would be unheard of. You could have journalists' personal Twitter accounts deep-dived and mined for controversial comments, and you could get them you can get them fired or get them to lose their livelihood in some other way. And that would have been a non-conversation starter not too long ago. It's amazing to me how things have changed. Yeah, well, you know, when, when Twitter and Facebook started, it was like, oh, you can post anything. Oh, okay, I'll just, I'll, I'll post everything between, you know, what I did for breakfast and, and when I brushed my teeth before going to bed. It's like, and obviously when, when you're posting so much stuff, that's generally unfiltered from your your brain, you know. Something because there was no need to filter it. No, no. It's like this is new. This is exciting. I can I can do anything with it. Yeah. So so let's let's post whatever whatever pops into my head, and that's. And now we've entered into a world where that has been weaponized. Yeah. So if if you said uh, if you said something, you know, just as a throwaway comment, or you know, if you'd had a few drinks and posted something stupid uh mm-hmm. you know from like 10 years ago yeah it's ridiculous that that will get dredged up whenever something controversial happens to you i can understand the frame for when it's right if somebody's got very specific political opinions if they're a politician for example and they've been seen to be supporting one thing when in reality they're supporting something else that that makes sense to me but then it should go with a degree of change in support rather than a loss of livelihood and that so often is becoming the case now when people's entire reputation is trashed or they're um become a lynch for the mob you know it just it it's fascinating how the world's attitude to what you used to be in the past or the kind of things you used to post and we started weaponizing that before to take people down who we didn't like or didn't agree with we started slinging mud at the people on the soapbox rather than blocking our ears. It's led to some very interesting behavior of people just trying to scrub clean their social media and try to white whitewash everything by trying to um, get rid of anything that could be potentially seen as harmful, even the most mundane comments or the most borderline kind of things. And people have gotten into a lot of trouble over not being too diligent enough in that behavior. Yeah, it's so, so stupid because I've like half of the, the tweets that I put on, on, on tweets, whatever we tweet call book. it. Tweet book, yeah. <laughs> half of the tweets I put out there, um, I'll delete like three days later because I'm like, oh, this could be interpreted the wrong way. And it, it's like something totally innocuous. Yeah. But at the same time, like I'm, I'm just starting out. I'm, I'm a fairly expendable person in all the like you know, three or four different jobs that I work at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so You're not willing to risk that over your potentially funny or not funny tweet. Yeah. And like it gets even worse once you once you get into it even further because like anything that I post on my social media, especially related to work, because there's there's a lot of like there's a lot of things that I'd be dealing with that, that can be legally risky. I'm personally liable for mm-hmm. like if I say I'm you know reporting on like a, a court case or something and I you know I, I get like a minor detail wrong that can like derail an entire trial yeah and 
like I'm I'm liable for that. I think I'd put that on the upper echelon of what I would consider mattering in terms of things that you've posted because as always it's a spectrum. Yeah. There's things that make sense for you to wipe and there's things that don't. The upper echelon is what you're describing as potentially harmful information. Yeah. Um, and the lower end of that is comedians who delete a funny tweet from three years ago because somebody found it un- off color or whatever. <laughs> Meaning, what exactly? You know what I mean? And there's people who, um, the other part of the spectrum is also, you know, politicians. That, that kind of thing matters. It does matter toward their policies and who they're trying to swing votes from and things like that. But then also there's things like, media companies and CEOs of large entertainment industries and actors and singers and all these kinds of things that you're adding a lot of different fields of people who are in the public sphere in some way or another. Does this actually matter or not? And why are we attacking this person or persons for it? That lovely sound you're hearing is Patrick trying to adjust his microphone. Yeah, we, we, it's a great auditory experience. We got some delicious new equipment and there's just some technical difficulties trying to get this thing to work. I'm very conscious of my breathing into the microphone. I keep trying to like hold my breath while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> so if it sounds like I'm out of breath sometimes, people, that's what's going on. I'll, I'll try not to rub my beard against the microphone too much either because this isn't an ASMR video. At the risk of putting ourselves in further jeopardy, let's stop talking about this topic. Ah, oh, that's horrible. Oh. It's right <laughs> in my ears. I don't know why I'm flinching away from where you are. It's in my ears because I'm wearing headphones. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've got some exciting things happening this weekend. This weekend? What's, what's happening this weekend? Well, <laughs> as you conveniently, conveniently forgot about, um, tomorrow is the second annual... Uh, Australian VidCon in Melbourne, Victoria. It's a long-running tradition. Two years now. That's that's this weekend. Yeah, it's this weekend. I Did you manage to get what time off work? I, th- I thought it was next weekend. No, it's this weekend. It was last weekend actually. It was fun. Oh no! <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to call work and like <laughs> call in sick or something. Uh, no, no, I'm gonna. You're on the record here. Uh, Let's remember. Now, I'll, I'll do the time-honoured Australian tradition of chucking a sickie. Damn, you got to it before I did. I was going to say <laughs> that. <laughs> Chuck a sickie. Yeah. That's, uh, it, it's a time-honoured con- uh, tradition for, you know, when, when you've had a bit too much to drink the night before or you've... Uh, Not that forgot- we have advocate for that. No, or you've... Uh, forgotten that you have a major video conference on that day <laughs> you chuck a sickie so um yeah vidcon very exciting we're probably a bit more prepared this year than we were last year yeah absolutely last year we were kind of like a deer in headlights i felt like a kid in a candy store because yeah. i i've wanted to go to vidcon uh since the first one yeah um because like I, i'm a long time vlog brothers fan mm-hmm. and when they launched it i was like these are my people yeah it was, what, like nine years ago now that the first VidCon was launched? Uh, yeah, it was in 2010. Yeah. So, being able to go last year was absolutely incredible. It's sort of, it's given us, like last year gave us a very good picture of what, what we should do and expect. 
Yeah. Um, and the, the last year was the first time that they'd expanded outside of Anaheim, which is where the the usual one is held in California each year. And um, they'd expanded to th- uh, two new locations, so Melbourne, Australia and Amsterdam in the Netherlands. There was a bit of concern because the one in um, Europe didn't perform that well. And that was the, the second one in that year. And there was a bit of concern about how the Australian one would perform and if it was going to be a major time sink and a money sink. And yet it performed very, very well. Uh, it was supported very, very well. They sold almost all of the tickets, I'm, I believe. They sold all of them. Yeah, they uh, sold out on the on the second day. So um, it turned out to be a fabulous event. We got to meet lots of great creators. A lot of people made their name. A lot of people made a lot of good connections. There were some aspects of it that weren't that great, but it was the aspects of it that I was expecting to not be great. It wasn't anything that I'd had high hopes for. So what were your expectations going into it? I kind of thought that it would be sort of screaming fans and there were a bunch of screaming fans, not quite as many as I was expecting. Well, we sort of kept away from what they call the community track events, which is the... You know the fans meeting their favorite creators. Yeah, we uh, we were going to much of the creator uh, events, which were you know oriented towards content makers like ourselves. Yeah, so we attended a lot of those sort of creator track events, and that was quite a bit of fun. But um, it seems to me that unfortunately, with the medium we work with, there's no there's no right answers, and you could tell that people's sort of unhappiness and um, distaste with the system of how YouTube is, but also to some extent the uh, Twitch streamers and the uh, Instagram users and things like that. There's there's no right answers. There's no magic formula. There's no uh, there's certain steps you can take in the right direction, but I, I think it was sort of information overload of semi-useful information. But I, I still think I got quite a lot out of it. You can sort of see the way others interact and how others create. I think that's the most valuable part of it. Yeah, there's there's so like such a diverse range of creators and because I don't watch that many YouTube videos from different genres, um, it it never occurs to me that there's like makeup bloggers with millions of subscribers. There's yeah. you know, uh, let's play channels or with- independent music creators who are making an entire living based on this laborious music that they create and just stream it on SoundCloud or Spotify and make a great living for themselves. Yeah, because it's so fragmented and because like all these communities are so so insular and and so separated. Like e- each of these genres is a microcosm of of people and almost a cottage industry. So you don't realize how many people are actually making a living online doing all this stuff. Yeah, it's very eye-opening. Yeah. And I don't know. It's it, it's absolutely energizing um, being there among people who who create like this because you know on in your day to day life you you might interact with if you're lucky half a dozen similar creators. Yeah. You know if you if you work in a co working space or you rent an office somewhere. You might you might know some neighbors or some of your collaborators and colleagues mm-hmm. that that are on the same track as you, but never this many people who are doing the same thing as you. 
And that's the benefit of it, I think, because you're getting everybody into this one space. People are coming from all overseas, like people coming from Japan, Indonesia, America, England. Like there, there was a diverse range of people who'd come together because we all do the same thing. We're all independent creators. We're all working for ourselves and we're all doing something that we're at least somewhat passionate about. And to interact and rub shoulders with like-minded individuals, there's no words to explain that. And people have taken notice of the unexpected success of VidCon last year in Australia. And it seems like there's more people going to be there this year. Yeah, I I heard that they'd uh, doubled, I think, the capacity this year. Wow. That's that's, that's just the rumor that I heard. Yeah, because uh, last year it sold out at ten thousand. Yeah. So they're expecting twenty thousand people. That's what I've heard. Yeah, this year. I mean the uh, the American one I think is still quite a bit larger than that, but um, that's still like a significant increase to to be able to offer. Yeah, absolutely. And they got quite a bit of star power this year as well. They've been able to convince a lot more people to come out. Um, besides um, Hank Green himself, who's already quite a bit of star power. They've got lots of new and upcoming creators. They've got a lot of um, very interesting talent coming through. Um, and that'll definitely draw the crowds through. Yeah, for sure. And it seems like it's not just the, the panelists and feature creators that, that are going to be high-profile YouTubers. Like last year when we were just like, you know, hanging out in the, the creator lounge there were, there were heaps of content creators, obviously, but um, very few of them had a, a large following. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's going to be more people, um, you know, more more prominent YouTubers there this year. Yeah, I think so. There was um, a very interesting thing last year was sort of walking around. Like when I bought my ticket, my channel was probably either just under or just over 10,000 subscribers. And then in the time it took for me to buy my ticket to when I actually attended the event, I was at 150,000 subscribers. So that was quite a large jump in my uh, channel size before I attended the event. And walking around in the creator section, you start to become aware of how many people are just up and starting or people's degree of seriousness in what they're creating. Some people will just do it for fun and some people are serious about it. And you can tell the people who are more serious about it because they, you know, they they don't have another job. They just do that. Um, I met a very nice animator who came here from Australia. I don't remember his name, but um, he was doing very, very well for himself. And that, that was all he did. And um, his channel was modest and small, but he was so passionate about it. And that's all that mattered to him. Um, and I found that very endearing to see people like that. And then, of course, there's the other people who just like to take a good vlog or whatever and and post it up there for their friends and family and who are also making you know pretty good name for themselves online yeah and i think it's you know being around that sort of energy that people have can really it can really rub off on you yeah being around passionate creators is something that's just there's no way to describe it it's like being infected by a passion drug like somebody's really really getting under your skin and 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 fueling your desire to create more and the 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 only thing i wanted to do more than get home and create at vidcon was stay at vidcon and keep rubbing shoulders with these people because it was just such a huge passion drive for me there's a lot of things that just you know kind of silly and dumb about vidcon and that's fine you take the good with the bad 
but it was great to be able to like get in there with those people and listen to people talk about their amazing ideas and things that they're doing that they're just passionate about and uh you come away with a pretty good feeling Mm. that's uh that's the biggest uh struggle i think i'm gonna have with this uh this year's vidcon because leaving well there's that but like before we even get there um the the hardest question for me at the last vidcon was oh what do you do yeah like (laughs) it's that that question is a lot more focused at VidCon, uh, <laughs> apart from you know outside in the in the real world where yeah like, because you, you want to say I make videos, <laughs> you yeah. want to just leave it at that yeah when when you're out on the street that's that's what that's what you say but at VidCon that's that's implied and mm-hmm. you know when people ask you what do you do they're like what that means what genre of videos do you do what content do you make and I still haven't figured out my answer to that question. Well, you make animated history videos. But I mean, that's such a mouthful. Like, it is. You know. But at least you have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yours is a little bit more up and down. Yeah. And, you know, it's it, it's kind of difficult because, you know, we joke about that I thought uh, VidCon was going to be next weekend, but that's actually what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, uh, just laugh, to laugh at your misfortune. Oh, uh, that's all right. Uh, it's, it just means that I won't have, um, you know, this grandiose new series pilot that, mm-hmm. that I'm going to have out. Uh, I, I had these, these great plans to get into this, uh, new video series that I'm working on mm-hmm. and have at least the first episode out before we went to VidCon, because mm-hmm. that would mean that we, you, you know, I can say to people, "Oh, I make I make this stuff." Yeah, a little bit of a digital resume to start handing out to people. Yeah, I mean, I can I can sort of tell people what I do in my day to day. You know, I, I produce radio and podcasts, and you know that sort of thing. That's that's what pays the bills. But when it comes to YouTube, I have no clear answer as to what I do. Ten second movie reviews. <laughs> Only Highest in- quality content on YouTube. Oh, you bet. But that's only in April. Mm-hmm. So um, we can expect some more next April. Um, maybe we'll see how it goes. If I can find uh, another thirty decent movies that I can make jokes about <laughs> and great thumbnails. Yeah, I have more fun making those thumbnails in the videos themselves. <laughs> oh, brilliant! You need to like change your shirts between each one so it doesn't look like you did them all in one sequence. But, but I, I did. I recorded all of them in two days. Yeah. That's that's the magic of uh, of, of old media coming across to new media. Yeah. That's magic. what we do. It's it's a production schedule. Yeah. Magic. And, that's and, the word I'll use. You know, I, I hadn't done laundry for two weeks. And I only <laughs> have one clean shirt. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, this this episode, I don't know when this is going live. When's this going live? Um, we, I still don't know. But, okay. Will uh, it be after VidCon? Potentially. Okay. Depending on how we go tomorrow. Um, yeah, so um yeah, we're pretty much looking forward to that. We're we're a little bit more prepared this year. We've got a we've got a hotel near the convention center. Uh, we're gonna be meeting some interesting YouTubers coming from overseas, um, which will be fun. Yeah, we we've sort of planned well for this rather than just showing up on the day last year. Mm-hmm. And uh it, it means that it's gonna be a 
an even better experience than last year. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So uh, you'll you hear all about it in the next episode or in the future. Potentially, we might uh, we'll we'll be taking the podcasting equipment with us to VidCon, and we're hoping to sort of record something while we're there. So um, if that didn't happen, I guess we'll cut this part of this section out. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. It's been an interesting time here in Australia recently. It has. Why has it been an interesting time? Well, ScoMo is a go-go. Ah, good old ScoMo. Yeah. So, um, the joke that everyone's saying at the moment is that we should all get together as Australians and put our names into a hat and then they should draw one out every year because apparently everyone in Australia wants to be our Prime Minister. We've had so many leadership. uh, It's it's called leadership spills Mm -hmm. um, because... Yeah, voting out the old prime minister and voting in a new one uh, by parliament isn't... That's that's a bit clunky, so they just call it a spill. So explain to uh, those listeners who don't really know what a leadership spill is. Well, we have the Westminster system, mm-hmm. which means that we don't directly elect our prime minister. Uh, we elect like a, a member of parliament. Mm-hmm. So we have a local member of parliament and... They, you know, get elected, they represent a party, and then that party votes for, okay, who's our prime minister, who's going to be our head of state? The um, the Westminster system means that you'll have individual members of parliament who sit in the, um, is it the House of Commons? Uh, it's the House of Representatives. The yeah. House of Representatives. The party with the majority seats becomes the ruling party, and then they'll go ahead to pick their leader, who is automatically under the constitution, the prime minister. So, um, the main issue with that is that if the leader of the country, if the leader of the party is changed or ousted within their party, that means the country gets a new prime minister. Not one that's democratically chosen, but one that is chosen by the representatives of the people, which is the MPs. Yeah, and uh, that's been happening a lot lately. It's been happening quite a bit. Yeah, uh, but... You know, it, it's good. We've only got two more uh, prime ministers until Christmas now. In the past eight years, we've had, I think, five prime ministers. Is that correct? A few more than that. Yeah, we so, had Rudd, Gillard. Rudd again. Rudd again. Yeah, electric boogaloo Rudd. And then we had... Um, Tony Abbott. Abbott, Turnbull, and ScoMo. Okay. So that's six. Yeah. Six PMs in eight years. That's just craziness. I I haven't voted in an Australian election where the Prime Minister has uh, seen out their entire term. Unbelievable. Yeah, they've they've just uh, it's it's insane. But um, I don't want to get into the politics of this uh, too much. Yeah, we're not a political podcast. No, uh, go to go to the Party Room uh, podcast for for proper analysis, but. I think that Malcolm Turnbull, regardless of his policies, he, he looked like the quintessential head of state. Not just about what he looked like, but he was a he was a competent leader. Yeah. Regardless of how you feel about his policies, you might agree with them, you might disagree with them. Um, but he was a competent leader. Yeah. I mean, I remember probably about eight, nine months before he became Prime Minister, GQ Australia did a cover story of him. Mm-hmm. And like they had him on the front cover... And the headline was Primed Minister. Mm-hmm. It, it was like all about how this guy is going to be the next leader of the country. 
and, and he he was just on that cover, and he just looked like he's Prime Minister material. He definitely did look like Prime Minister material. He had you know his broad shoulders, his back was straight. He um you know he was a he was a very upstanding man who uh, he embodied leadership. And now we have ScoMo. And now we have ScoMo. <laughs> ScoMo is a go-go. He is. Uh, you know, he, he looks like such a, um, a cuddly koala bear. For those Googling ScoMo, um, it's not actually ScoMo, <laughs> it's Scott Morrison. Yeah, we, we shorten every word in the English language here in Australia. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's affectionately referred to as ScoMo, but yeah, good old... Uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison. There we go. That's the proper title. The Right Honourable. Isn't he the Right Honourable? Is that the title that they're given? He's the Honourable Member for Cook. Because that's his electorate. Cool. Yeah. Where's Cook? It's like uh, Northern Sydney. Ah, they don't count. No, no. That's... that's, uh, We're down here in the good city of Melbourne. Yeah. Anyway. um, Yeah. He he looks like a a guy that... uh, no, he's he's busy driving uh, driving his daughter's soccer team to McDonald's after practice on a Sunday. Yeah, it's it's not, you know, he doesn't look like he would uh, he would drive a hard bargain in trade negotiations. He looks like the kind of guy who wouldn't be out of place at an all-you-can-eat lobster restaurant <laughs> with like a bib around his neck. And some butter on his fingers. <laughs> That's kind of what he looks like to me, with a little bit of rosy cheeks, from a little bit too much champagne. Yeah, that's kind of what he embodies to me. Yeah, he's just he doesn't scream leadership to me. No, but but he he managed to get the the party's votes. Yeah. Um, it was incredible watching that uh, whole meltdown at work last week. Yeah, it would have been very different for you. I remember how stressed you were. Yeah, it it was absolutely insane because you know you you wake up on a on a Wednesday morning or well on on Tuesday when the the whole thing began because it was a four day long ordeal of oh are we gonna have a new prime minister today no what about tomorrow next mm-hmm. day and so it meant that we basically had to like we produce three hours of radio a day and. When the show rolls around, we don't even know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have nothing definitively booked in. So we're just making it up as we go along. And there is no news today. <laughs> yeah, try saying that for three hours straight. What, what Was it the BBC that did that? Like in the 1930s or something? Oh, probably. It was like the famously one day where they're like, we now return to the news. There was no news today, and played mi- and played music for forty minutes. That's uh, that sounds like the nineteen thirties. There's, there's no, <laughs> the nineteen thirties. Nothing happened. Nothing at all. No, it yeah. was a peaceful time in world politics. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just uh, just having that sort of frantic energy and and the excitement of a developing story and being able to be like the first people able to cover it is mm-hmm. it's. It's such an adrenaline rush. You took your storefront to the forefront of the upfront. 